Well, good morning. It is good to be together. Let me go ahead and invite us this morning to turn to Genesis. Genesis, we're going to go to chapter 12. If you're grabbing a pew Bible, that's page 8. And we're going to pick it up in the opening verse, verses 1 through 9. The words will be on the screen behind me. And for this, I'm going to invite Cliff to come up. He's going to read for us. And then we will get after it. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they accumulated and, and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Sheshem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on to the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. Let's, let's pray. God, what a gift it is to be able to gather together, to be in your presence, to be with one another. And God, as we look to your word now, may, may we have ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts, as always, that are shaped, that are molded in your image. Amen. So again today, I want us to head again back to the Old Testament, back to the Torah, what are the first, referring to the first five books of the Bible, to what I am calling the Jesus backstory. Keeping in mind, as we have seen, that in the same way that each one of us, we have a backstory, right? We have, we have these experiences, right? This history of experience, be it a significant loss or a painful event or, or an overwhelming joy. Be it, be it the experiences of generations that have gone before us, right? All of which, all of which give shape and direction to, to who we are today. And in the same way, Jesus too has a, a backstory. Noting as we have too, that, you know, for the most part, we focus our time, our energy, our attention on Jesus. And that's fantastic. That's how it should be. Right on his life, his teachings, his death, his burial, his resurrection, everything that Jesus did, everything that Jesus said. And again, that's fantastic. And yet at the same time, we have this whole thing we call the Old Testament, right? This whole panorama of experience filled with joys and sorrows and all kinds of, of hardship, all of which is a backstory to the life of Jesus, which is why again today, 
I again want us to head back to the Old Testament, back to the Torah. What is, what is the backstory? The backstory that is the Torah. Picking it up today in what is the third parsha. Again, parsha meaning portion or section. It refers to a passage of scripture, noting that in Judaism, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, are divided into 54 parshiot, read weekly throughout the Jewish year. And as we saw two weeks ago now, we started with Parsha Bereshit, right in the, in the beginning. It, it picks up the, the two stories of creation, Genesis 1 and, and Genesis 2, right? More specifically, it picks up the story of the creation of humanity, noting that, that it was all about relationship, right? The backstory of Jesus Right, at the core, the center, the heart of your life and mine is relationship, is connection, is equality. And we can think value and, and worth. And then last week, we came to the second Parsha, Parsha Noah, centering around the flood, which as we saw, it was there we found that not so much creation, although it mirrored and reflected that story of creation, but it was really a story of recreation. Right at the backstory of Jesus is this rebirth and renewal and recreation. And then today we come to the third Parsha, Parsha Lech Lecha. This Parsha travels all the way from Genesis 12 to Genesis 17. What is the account of the story of Abraham? And this Parsha actually begins with God saying to Abraham, Lech Lecha, right, go forth. And so Abraham does go forth. Now, by way of synopsis, he then goes on to Egypt. There's a famine in the land. He goes to Egypt. He's with his wife, Sarah. He pretends that she's not his wife because of her beauty. He pretends that she's not his wife and, and that uh, she's really his sister. From there, it goes on to share the story of Abraham and Lot. Abraham and Lot separate. Lot moves to Sodom. It then shares the story. Parsha continues to share the story of it's a war between the four kings versus the five kings. Then God and Abraham enter into this covenant, Brit bin Habatarim. It's the covenant, the covenant between the pieces or the covenant between the parts. Then we read about Hagar and, and Sarah and the birth of Ishmael. And then we come to another covenant, Brit Milah, which is the covenant of circumcision. Now, again, my plan here in no way is to cover all of that. But I do want to drill down on a couple of verses and make one point. And then I want to invite us into some time of reflection together. But as Cliff read for us, this Parsha begins, The Lord said to Abraham, Lethacha, right, go forth from your country, your people, your father's household, to the land I will show you. And the next line, verse 2, God says, I will make you into a great nation. So Abraham, he does... Just that, right? He heads out of town. He travels to, to Canaan. He heads to Canaan, the land of Canaan. Verse 6, Abraham, or Abram, at this point, Abraham, he changes his name. He's father of multitudes. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem or Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And then notice verse 2, he expands on, in verse 7, I mean, he expands on verse 2. He says, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your, to your offspring, I will give this land. 
And so God begins, he begins telling Abraham, or Abram, he says, go forth, lech lecha, right? He goes, go to this land that I will show you. He says, I will make you into a great nation. And then he says, in, in essence, it, it will be yours for generations to come. Right, this land, it will be yours for, for generations. And then notice Abraham in response. It's interesting, he doesn't settle down. He doesn't build a house. He doesn't, like Noah, he doesn't plant a vineyard. He doesn't draw up plans for land development. He doesn't undertake a, an environmental study or assessment. Rather, we read this. It says, he built an altar there to the Lord. And then straight off, verse 8, from there, it says, he went on. So again, he is not settling down. He's on the move, he went on toward the hills east of Bethel, Bethel, and it says he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And then we read again, he built an altar to the Lord. He called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. So again, here he is on the move. He's traveling south. He's not settling down. He's not building a house. He's not growing a vineyard. In fact, the next story, he's again on the move, which sort of invites us, kind of begs the question, why? Why is, this, why is this story being told in this particular way? Why is it really, at this point, nothing more than a travel itinerary with, with a tent and, and a couple of altars thrown in? Why, why the story in this way? Now with that, if we read the story by itself, if we read the story by itself, then that is true. It's really nothing more than travel itinerary and some trivial details, maybe. But if we read this in context, in a larger context, I think we find some significance for us. Kind of in the same way that last week, the story of the flood, right? In and of itself, the story of the flood is kind of a sad story, right? As Rabbi Israel says, it's the conclusion, the sad epilogue, the end of an era. And yet in the larger context, right, we saw that it really reflects the creation story. As he goes on, he says, the flood is not simply the end of something, it is also the beginning, the prologue of a new world. It is not simply that the old world is revealed, no. A new world is created. And so again, in the larger context, the flood is really a story of recreation, of renewal and, and, and rebirth. And in the same way today, in its larger context, we find more than just travel plans and trivial details. Noting if we go back to the Parsha before, Parsha Noah, there's some genealogy right before. Before that, the, the story just previous to this is the Tower of Babel found in chapter 11. And it's there in 11, we read this opening line. It says, now the whole world, interesting, now the whole world had one language and a common speech. And then notice verse two, it says, as people moved eastward, they found a place in Shinar, and notice it says they settled there. By way of comparison, we read chapter 12 and verse eight. From there, he, Abraham, he went on toward the hills. And then notice, he also is heading east. But unlike the people, unlike the world, the whole world, the text says, who settled, 
Right here we read that Abraham, he doesn't settle, rather it says he puts up a tent. So both here are heading east. But while the people, the world, the whole world, right, settles, think permanent, we read Abraham puts up what is a, is a temporary dwelling. It goes on 11 and 4, they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. And then it says, so, meaning for the purpose of, that we may make a name for ourselves. Again, by way of comparison, notice Abraham, it says he built an altar to the Lord, and then he called on the name of the Lord. So notice again, they both build. Right? They've both gone east. They're both building. But notice the way of the world is to build for themselves. Right? And we can think of, of building something, right? There's focus, there's time, there's attention, there's, there's energy, there's finances. And the text tells us the way of the world is to build for themselves, while Abraham, in contrast, he is building for God. Right? Again, time and energy and attention, focus and finances. People, they built a tower, right? This monument for the purpose of, it says, elevating their own name. And Abraham, he is building an altar, elevating God's name. Point being, simply put, this is about orientation. This is about the orientation, really, of your life and mine, right? Here we read the whole world is oriented, focused on self. Abraham, he is focused, right? He is oriented on, on God. Which kind of begs the questions then, what is the orientation of your life and mine? And again, we can think time, energy, attention, focus, finances, hopes, dreams, passions. Right, is my life, is your life, is our life oriented toward the things of, of God? And then with that, we can ask in what way is God inviting me to reorient my life? Right, what, we, we could say kind of what, in what arena of my life is God inviting me to reorient? Now what's interesting is that in contrast to the people who, again, the world, the whole world, it says, who are all about making a name for themselves. From verse 2, 12 and 2, God tells Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. And then he says, and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Which is interesting because in Judaism, there is a, we could call it a phrase, Kiddush Hashem. It means sanctification of the name, or we can think of sanctification of God's name. And it connects the idea of, of name, of God's name, with the activity of blessing. And with it comes this idea that, that every moment is an opportunity to, to do good. Rabbi Warren Goldstein, he says the mitzvah, meaning commandment, again, be translated as principle, of Kiddush Hashem goes beyond what we say. It says even more important is what we do, how we behave, 
We don't just believe in God or preach God. We live his values and principles. In other words, we are called on to bring the people we encounter to an appreciation of and a closeness to God through our living example. Ultimately, Kedush Hashem is about bringing the world closer to this vision of a world filled with God's light and love and values, saturated with the closeness of his presence. From the Gemara, which is a rabbinical commentary on the Mishnah, which makes up the Talmud, which is commentary on the Hebrew scriptures. There we read, it says, make the name of heaven, we could say God. Make the name of heaven, make the name of God, beloved through you. And so we could ask, is my life oriented toward Kiddush Hashem? Do I practice, maybe we could say, do I practice the way of Kiddush Hashem? And specifically, we can think of doing good. We can think of God's light and God's love. We can think of that closeness of his presence. Maybe we could ask, what can I do to make the name of heaven beloved through me? How is God calling me to orient my life in such a way that the name of heaven, the name of God, is beloved through me? And then to kind of bring it all together, what do I need to reorient that I might be a living example? That I might be a living example of, of good, that I might be a living example of God's love and his light, that I might be an example of closeness, the closeness of his presence. The Lord had said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. 